Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We just sang Christ Arose on December 17th. I love it. Where in the Bible are we told to sing Christ Arose only in March and April? Where are we told to sing the little drummer boy in the month of December? I hope that we're thankful every day of our lives that Jesus Christ arose. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, and seen of angels, then preached unto the Gentiles. It's a great mystery of godliness, and I hope that we're very thankful for it, and that we want to sing about him tearing the bars away from death every day of our lives, because we need that hope every day of our lives. Acts chapter 10. We have studied the first nine chapters so far. In chapter 9, we were introduced to Saul of Tarsus and his great conversion on the road to Damascus by the Lord Jesus Christ who appeared to him personally, struck him down with a light that was brighter than the noonday sun, and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul addressed him as Lord and said, Who art thou? And he wanted to know more. And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And Saul said, what, what can I do to serve you, Lord? Right. What wilt thou have me to do? Amen. And we're going to read a lot about Saul of Tarsus in the following chapters of this book as he becomes the great apostle Paul. But at the end of chapter 9, we see, we see Peter performing some miracles. He raises Anus in verses 32 through 35. And then he finds a a woman named Dorcas in verses 36 through the end of the chapter, and he raises her from the dead. And the very last verse of Acts chapter 9 is that he tarried many days in a city called Joppa with one Simon a Tanner. So Acts 9 leaves Peter in a city called Joppa, and we come to Acts 10. Acts 10 is an important chapter. Amen. If all we had were the first nine chapters of Acts, you are cut out of the gospel of the grace of God. Because the first nine chapters are for the Jews. Jesus had told his apostles that you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the first nine chapters were Jerusalem... Judea, and Samaria. And we Gentiles haven't been included yet. But that was a great mystery that the Apostle Paul is going to tell us a great deal about, not only in the book of Acts, with some of the things he says, but in his epistles, because he had an understanding of the great mystery that God had from the foundation of the world. Though it appeared that God had unique dealings with the nation of Israel, that was for his external, visible dealings with men. He still was in the business of saving Gentiles. But as far as the church, the gathered congregation of saints in the Old Testament, it was Jewish. And there was such a division made that when those Jews entered the land of Canaan, they were to kill every Canaanite, every Gentile in the land of Canaan, whether it was man or woman, old or young. That great division was made. 
But God has always had his people. Throughout the Old Testament, we read about Gentiles coming in to the church of the Old Testament, the church that was in the wilderness. I think of Rahab the harlot. Now, if you'd have looked at Rahab the harlot from the vantage point of being a Jew, you would have said, not a chance. Isn't that what the Lord likes to deal with, though? Not a chance. Not only is she a Gentile, she's a woman Gentile. Not only is she a woman Gentile, she's a woman Gentile that sells her body in the oldest profession, as they call it. How can she ever make it? Isn't it wonderful to read Hebrews chapter 11 and find her there? Amen. How about James chapter 2 and find her there? Right. Do you know who she's lined up with in James 2? Abraham. Abraham? You mean the father of all the Israelites? And there's Rahab the harlot. James chapter, that was James 2. Then Hebrews 11. There's Rahab the harlot lined up with David and Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and Noah and all the great saints. Because God had mercy on Gentiles. Amen. And brethren, we are Gentiles. Amen. We were born outside the commonwealth of Israel. And from that external visible standpoint, we are without God and without hope in the world. Right. God did not ask you if you wanted to exist. Did he? Nope. He created a soul and gave it to you and you can't turn it off. Turn it off. Amen, brother. Is that the most sovereign thing you've ever heard in your life? Amen. God created souls without asking if they wanted existence. He puts them in a world where there's sin everywhere and they inherit a sinful nature from their parents that was not their personal choice but their parents' choice. They live a life filled with pain, then they die, then they go to hell, and they cannot turn their soul off. And if we are without God and without hope in this world... It is the most hopeless insanity imaginable. We sang a song earlier this morning about God owning our worthless names. Right. We're going to deal with a worthless name this morning, and his name is Cornelius. And he knew he was outside the commonwealth right. of Israel. But brethren, there is great grace Amen. with the Lord. And we are a congregation of gathered Gentiles sitting here this morning. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our brother, and he has broken down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile and made one, both one in one body, even his church, and he has saved us all by his blood. Amen. We are saved just the way they are. There is a, they're in as much need as the blood of Jesus Christ as any Gentile ever. Right. And we're all saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But the Lord wants to give us a whole chapter about one Gentile man to get this message across loud and clear, and to show us how the Gentiles are truly saved. And I can't save any Gentiles this morning with the Lord Jesus Christ has. Amen. And Peter couldn't save Cornelius as far as his eternal destination was concerned, but he could save him to an understanding that Jesus Christ had put away his sins and to free up his conscience from the guilt that was on his conscience without knowing about that sacrifice for him. Amen. That's what Peter brought to Cornelius. But let's look at it now. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Even our army has various divisions and bands and armies within it of a smaller nature, and they give names to themselves. 
And here was an Italian band. Do you know where these soldiers came from? Can you speculate? They came from Italy. This was the Roman army. The Roman army incorporated mercenaries from all over the world. But this band was from the home country of Italy. And Cornelius was a centurion. What does that mean? How many men was, were under his command? 100. Because there are 100 years in a century. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. The Bible tells us that he was a devout man. A devout man is one devoted to religious exercises, a pious man. That's an unusual Roman right there, isn't it? And one that feared God with all his house. Not only did he fear God, but he had led his whole house to fear God. And as you're going to see, he doesn't just mean his wife. And as you're going to see, it doesn't mean just his children. It means his servants and the soldiers that waited on him continually. His personal soldiers, his personal bodyguards. Which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Here was a Roman centurion from the pagan nation of Rome who feared God and his whole house, who gave alms to the people that he was supposed to be or could have been oppressing. He gave alms to the people. He prayed to God once in a while. He prayed to God always. And he was a devout man. Let me tell you a few things about Cornelius. I'm going to tell you here. We're going to see it several times in the book, in the the 10th chapter of Acts. Cornelius was a born again child of God without understanding. He was a born again child of God without his conscience being free to know that his sins were paid for. God had regenerated him so that he did the things that are described in verse 2. I will tell you that the word devout is not enough by itself to prove that Cornelius was already born again. Because the word devout is used a couple other places in the book of Acts to describe those that persecuted the Apostle Paul. All it means is a person devoted to religious exercises. You can be devoted to various religious exercises. However, when we see that word connected with praying to God always and giving alms to the people and fearing God, we look at that word devout a little differently. Right. He was devoted to the worship of the true God. Amen. Cornelius was a born-again child of God that needed to be taught the truth about his salvation and what he ought to do to please God. But there he was with a new heart and a new nature in him that caused him to do these things. It says that he feared God with all his house. Well, now look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 18. And I hope that most of you, oh, that is a hope, that most of you know where to go for some of these short expressions. What is one of the characteristics of the ungodly? A man dead in trespasses and sins. He doesn't fear God. Look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 18. Here is a description of wicked men before they are born again before they are saved with the washing of regeneration. 
Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God at all before their eyes. That is the character of the wicked. So when we read in Acts chapter 10 and verse 2 that Cornelius feared God with all his house, this man was born again to give him a very different character. He had the character of those glorious citizens that we read about in Psalm 15 earlier this morning. He feared God with his whole house. There was a whole family born again. And he gave much alms to the people. He gave much alms to the people. What are alms? Alms are charitable giving to the poor who can't help themselves. And here Cornelius was doing it in a nation. Do you know what was so lucrative about being a Roman centurion? You get to go into a foreign country and make a nice paycheck, take your whole family with you, and live off the people that you're subjecting. But here he is taking of his goods to give. And these alms not only sound good, and you know, lots of men give away money. I mean, if we were to, Bill Gates is giving away quite a bit these days. But I haven't read anywhere that his alms are coming up into heaven as a memorial before God. Have you? And there's no evidence because he doesn't even acknowledge that there is a God or a heaven. Did Cornelius acknowledge there was a God and a heaven? He prayed to that God always. He feared that God and he was trying to please that God. Here he had been in Italy. He had shown himself to be a a mighty man of valor. He was appointed to be a centurion. He was given a post in the land of Judea to keep those rebellious Jews under the subjection of the Roman Empire. And somewhere in that process of his life, God had regenerated him by his Holy Spirit so that Cornelius had a different character from all the other centurions. And here he is in Caesarea, praying to God always, giving alms to the people. All he knows is within him is a desire to do things that the other centurions don't do. The other centurions would take advantage of the people. And here he is helping them. Look at verse 4. We're going to jump to verse 4 because it helps us. Because here's an angel's testimony about Cornelius' almsgiving. The angel said to him in the middle of verse 4, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. These are not just any almsgiving. Many, many people give to UNICEF and other organizations because it makes them feel good. Because... If they can give more than their neighbor and the list of donors are published, they can look better than their neighbor. And do you know what Jesus would say? They have their reward. Do you know what Jesus would say about Cornelius? His reward's on high. They've come up for memorial before God. Here was a man who was giving alms and they were received by God. Look at, turn over to 2 Corinthians 9 9. Let's look at a little verse that tells us something about giving. Alms are actually giving to the poor out of a religious duty, if you want the full definition of what the word means. And here he's a devout man, and we have alms stuck in the middle of fearing God and praying always. We can see that he was doing it for the Lord's sake. Is that pretty obvious to you? Well, look what the Bible says about giving in 2 Corinthians 9, 9. And this is from the Old Testament, and Paul quotes it again in the New. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, 
His righteousness remaineth forever. A man who gives to the poor is proving that he's a righteous man. His righteousness remaineth forever. But now lots of people give to the poor. I mean, the United Fund collects money from just about everybody in Greenville County. But I want you to remember something. The Bible says that the plowing of the wicked is sin. Even an innocent activity like plowing is sin. And when a man is doing it for an ignoble purpose, like having his name or duty, or if you don't get every, every officer in our company gives, he's politely told when it's time for the United Fund giving. It's an obligation. That doesn't prove anything. This man was giving out of a duty in his heart that God had placed there, and it says his righteousness in, remaineth forever. This giving is different because this giving came up before God as memorial. God accepted this giving. Therefore, we look at his giving differently than all the giving that is done by men in order to be seen or in order to get advantage or in order to make peace with their own heart. Cornelius was trying to make peace with God. It also says in verse 2 that he prayed to God always. And those prayers came up before God according to the second half of verse 4. Look at Proverbs chapter 15 with me. Proverbs chapter 15. Let's look at something about prayer. Lots of people pray. Every time Roberto Clemente used to go to the plate, he prayed. Did you ever watch him cross himself before he'd swing the bat? So, lots of men pray. But here's what God has to say about all those prayers that are being made. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Wow, even when he prays with a sacrifice, it's an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. Notice that the difference in the prayer is the character of the heart. A wicked man offers up a prayer, it's an abomination to God. How many times could we read about Israel itself when they would offer up prayers or have their solemn assemblies like Isaiah chapter 1, but they were doing it with an evil heart? God said it was a stink and he hated it. And then verse 29 of the same chapter, Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. That's enough verses. We'll come back to Acts chapter 10. We could keep, I could multiply those a few times for you. The Lord does not hear the prayers of wicked men. In fact, when wicked men pray and they're in great fear, he laughs and mocks at the calamity that's come upon them because when they had a chance to pray earlier, they didn't. When they had a chance to obey his word, they wanted nothing to do with him. But now that they're in trouble, they want to pray, and God laughs at their prayers and will not hear them. He, his ears are open to the righteous. His face is toward them that do good. And those verses tell us that those were righteous men that had their prayers heard. And verse 4 of Acts chapter 10 tells us that the prayers of Cornelius came up into heaven as a memorial before God. Cornelius was a born-again man. He had a righteous heart. He was justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a saved man. He just didn't understand much about it. That character is given to us right off the bat in verse 2. A Bible reader knows what verse 2 is there for. It's for us to get started correctly and not be in confusion about the man Cornelius. He was a devout, a truly devout man. 
feared God with all his house, gave alms to the people, prayed to God. Those alms and prayers were heard by God. He was a righteous man, born again, on his way to heaven if he were to die that day. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, three o'clock in the afternoon, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? Sounds about like Saul of Tarsus, doesn't it? Amen. Lord, what is it, Lord? Well, he's been praying always to the Lord, and the Lord's answering him. He's a little frightened, but he's not confused. What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And there is so much in that statement right there to prove the character of Cornelius. This was not empty praying, it wasn't empty giving, and it wasn't some false fear of God. It was sincere, devout, true, and godly. All of it. And so the angel goes on in verse 5, And now send men to Joppa. Remember the last verse of chapter 9 where there's a man in Joppa that Cornelius needs. Send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Cornelius knew certain things to do. Compassion toward the poor. God taught that, taught that to him in his heart. He ought to fear God. God taught it to him in his heart. He ought to pray to God always that everything in his life was dependent upon God's blessing. God taught him that in his heart. To be devoted to his religious worship of God, God had taught him that in his heart. He knew all that, but there were some things he didn't know. And he needed Peter to tell him. He needed Peter to tell him that there was no longer a wall between Jews and Gentiles. He needed Peter to tell him that the guilt that he had on his conscience without the knowledge of Jesus Christ having died for his sins, could be taken away by hearing the gospel from Peter. He would be told by Peter what he could do to give an answer of a good, clean conscience back to God. And that was to be baptized. Because how long would it have taken Cornelius to figure out that he ought to let another grown man dip him in some deep water and raise him back up again? Cornelius wouldn't have figured that out on his own. He needed Peter to tell him that. He needed Peter to tell him about heaven and the hope of glory. That there was a resurrection from the dead. All the glorious things that the gospel brings. He needed that. Send for Simon Peter. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Cornelius was born again, knew that he loved God, feared God, served God by giving alms, prayed to God always, led his whole house in fearing the Lord, but he needed to hear the gospel. Not in order to go to heaven, he's already born again. He needs to hear the gospel for his conscience to be relieved from the guilt of his sins and to know what he could do to please that God perfectly. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed... He called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. I want you to notice that these two servants and this soldier that waited on him continually sounds like a personal bodyguard 
He brings them together and he tells them the whole event. Now, if Cornelius was a private believer, he would have told these three, I need you to go to Joppa and find Simon Peter, who's with Simon the Tanner, because I've got a business deal with them. Would you please bring him back to Joppa? But he told them the whole thing because this whole family was looking for God to visit them. And they need, they wanted to know more, and all of them were worshipers with him. Notice it's called, they were called a devout soldier of those that waited upon him continually. Right. He had another Roman, another Italian, that was, it's the Italian band here, brethren. That doesn't mean they were from Greece. They had other Italians here who also were devout. And that he could explain the whole thing too. Listen, I've seen an angel, and instead of going to the neighboring town to tell the centurion there that our Cornelius is losing his mind, they believed because this whole house feared God. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter, Peter, Oh, the Lord's, the Lord's arranging again. Have we noticed so far that the Lord in His sovereign dealings with men does some pretty good arranging? Amen. Was there an Ethiopian eunuch that wanted to go down to Jerusalem to worship because he knew the God of the Jews was the true God of heaven? Amen. Was God preparing another man at the same time? His name was Philip. Did God get them together at the right place at the right time? Amen. What was the Ethiopian eunuch reading when Philip found him. Isaiah 53. And the first words out of the eunuch's mouth were, how can I accept some man should guide me? Do you know what that does to a minister of the gospel? How can I understand unless some man guides me? Lights his fire. And Philip jumped up into that chariot and preached to him Jesus right there. And, and, of course, the Lord had also arranged that there would be an oasis about 15 minutes later that they would see, and the eunuch would be able to recognize an oasis that there's water there in the midst of those palm trees, and said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? All of it by the providence of God. Amen. And now while Cornelius has already sent some men on their way, we've got men that are three men that are traveling from Caesarea to Joppa. In fact, they're very close to Joppa. Peter goes up on the housetop at noontime. They left the next morning. This is now the next day. Peter's on his rooftop praying because Peter prayed three times a day. And I could chase that for five minutes or for an hour. Remember, Daniel prayed three times a day. And he's listed as one of the five great men in the Bible. David said in Psalm 55 and verse 17, Morning and evening and noon will I pray unto thee. And if you read the book of Acts, you will find the apostles praying at nine in the morning, three in the afternoon, and at noon. And here's Peter at his noon prayers. And brother, this wasn't to Mecca. This was to the Most High God in a fervent prayer like Jesus had taught them to pray. Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. We're in the ninth verse of Acts 10. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. You know, the Bible is so practical. Luke is a doctor, and he writes very detailed accounts. This is what happens to you and me about twice a day. We get hungry, but whoever's fixing it for us takes longer than our stomachs wish they were taking. They got hungry. 
And while it was being, while it was being prepared, Peter falls into a trance. He's up there praying. He's hungry. Lunch is being fixed. He falls into a trance by the blessing of God. And here's what happens to him in his trance. He saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. A great sheet tied together at the four corners so that it would, it would create a bag. Wherein, that is in that sheet, were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Every kind of insect and bird and wild beasts were stuck in that sheet. And here comes this sheet down out of heaven. Now, if, if we were to take the time, and because I've committed to preach one chapter of Acts in one sermon, we're not going to. I'm going to trust that you already know it. There's a whole chapter in Leviticus that tells them all the animals they can eat and all the animals they cannot eat. Right. And this sheet was filled with all the animals they could not eat. Birds and insects. There was a tiger in there. There might have been an elephant. You say, God couldn't put an elephant in the sheet. Yes, he could. There was all sort of animal in that sheet that, that he was. they could not eat as a Jew. And the sheet comes down and there came a voice to him. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. He was hungry. Here's a sheet with all sorts of meat in it. Rise, Peter, eat and kill. And you know what we can say about Peter sometimes for his impulsiveness and unfaithfulness. Look at his testimony that he was able to make. And he was in a trance, brethren. I don't think he was lying to the Holy Ghost. Look what he says. But Peter said in verse 14, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Is that the character of the righteous from Psalm 15? Amen. He did righteousness. This man, Peter, though impulsive, though get, getting himself into trouble every now and then, here's a, here's a question put to him, I mean, here's a test put to him, and he says, I've never done that. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Brethren, are we living so that if God were to ask us or tell a, test us with something like this, we could say, not so, Lord, I've never done that. Let's say he lowered that sheet with your, with some sin that tempts you. And you could look at that sheet and say, not so, Lord, I've never done that, and I don't intend on doing it now. Is that a good testimony? Amen. Even in, a, even in a trance, to be able to answer the Lord that way. And the voice, verse 15 of Acts 10, the voice spake unto him again the second time. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Now, it, here we're getting a message here. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. The voice says, what God hath cleansed, don't call that common or unclean. And Peter be a little confused right here. He's in a trance. He knows it's coming from God. That's why he said, not so, Lord. He knows the Lord speaking to him. And the Lord saying, what God hath cleansed, don't call thou common or unclean. He knows he sees everything in that sheet. The elephant and the tiger and the insects and the eagle that's poking over the side and the crow that he's not supposed to eat those. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. 
Now while Peter doubted, brethren, the time... I hear questions every now and then about the sovereignty of God. Does it really extend to the small events? Amen. The sovereignty of God extends to all events. It's so glorious to know that there is a Heavenly Father that is directing all the events of our lives. Right. I have heard people say we shouldn't thank God for finding a parking place when we come to a parking lot and there's one right by the front door. Why not? Amen. Bless the... Listen, if you can bless him for the small things, I know you will be for the large things. Right. He says that himself about how we deal with the things he gives us. Yep. We should be thankful for everything that he does because it's all under his control. Amen. Amen. If you haven't had a cold in a year or two, should you thank the Lord? Amen. And while Peter now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, he doesn't understand it yet. Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. If you read your verb tenses properly there, they had made inquiry. That means before he was up there on the rooftop having his vision, they had already got into the city of Joppa and asked where Simon the Tanner lived, by the seashore. And so then they had walked down that street, taken a left at the oak tree, and found, I don't know if there's an oak over there or not, but they found themselves at Simon the Tanner's house, right. standing there. Peter has just, the sheet's just gone back up into heaven. Peter's wondering, what does this thing mean? And there's three men at his gate. And those men called, verse 18, called out and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. Hey, is there a Simon Peter at this address? Peter's just come back to his senses on the rooftop. He doesn't understand what the vision means, and there are three men wanting Simon Peter. Right then, at the same instant, this is the God we worship, Amen. and I don't believe he's changed one whit. Right. When we meet a person whose heart has been prepared by God at a certain time, we want to look at that heart and respond to it because God has brought him. Amen. Every opportunity you have to testify of the gospel, the grace of Christ, you should do so. Because if somebody has been brought your way that has asked a question or you have an opportunity, how do you know it's not three men from Caesarea? Right. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. He's gracious, isn't he? Amen. What if he had just said there's three men down there? Peter would have got down there, and he had this vision over here on this side, and he'd have had these three men, and, and they, they may have been, those servants might have been Jews, taken from the local population. They said, Cornelius the centurion wants you to visit him in Joppa. I mean in Caesarea. And Peter would have been confused, because uh, a Gentile, as you're going to find out, he wasn't supposed to go visit Gentiles. But what the Lord does is like Gideon. Remember, remember Gideon? Gideon was afraid to go to battle. And how the Lord comforted him over and over and over right. until Gideon was able to take on the Midianite host with 300 men divided into three bands of 100 without swords, torches, and trumpets. Now that's pretty good, huh? For a man who is timid, the Lord is merciful. Right. You're saying you see so much? No, I don't. It's, just, it's right there. It's so obvious the Lord is merciful to give him further encouragement don't doubt anything. Go with them. The questions are all answered before he even gets to the three men. 
Verse 21, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? He does ask a question. He's trying to figure out a little bit more of what the Lord's going to do with him. And so we here we have a short version of the story given to us by Cornelius' servants. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. There's the short version. Then called he them in and lodged them. He's got an Italian soldier in his house. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. As we're going to learn from chapter 11, he took six brethren with him. He needed witnesses, and he was a wise man for doing so. And the Lord, I'm sure, blessed him, but he took six brethren from this from Joppa to go with him. And the morrow after, they entered into Caesarea. And Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. I, am, I was blessed in studying this chapter in that 24th verse of the difference between Cornelius and Lot. Do you remember just last Sunday I preached to you about Lot when Lot went and sent to his sons-in-law if they would leave the city before they were burned up, they mocked him and laughed him to scorn because his life hadn't been consistent. But this Cornelius said, I have a Jewish fisherman coming by for a talk today. I think you ought to come and hear him because God sent him to us. Now, that's even stranger than God burning up cities in the days of Abraham and Lot in certain respects. But do you know what all those kinsmen did? Instead of mocking him, they came. And his close friends. Do you know what kind of companions Cornelius kept? The companions that Psalm 101 describes. Righteous men. Wicked men I will not allow in my house. There's so much I'm limited in time. Psalm 101 says that a righteous man will not allow wicked men to serve him. Do you remember that without me turning to it? It's in Psalm 101. Notice the kind of servants that Cornelius has. Only good men, honest men, faithful men, God-fearing men. This man has such character, and he hasn't heard the gospel. That was verse 24. His kinsmen and his close friends are invited, and they come. Verse 25, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Here's a man that submits to God. He is a leader of a hundred Roman soldiers. He is in Judea to keep this populace of these rebellious Jews, these seditious Jews, under the control, under the boot of the Roman army and the Roman emperor. But he falls down on his feet before what? What do we have in Peter? A great, a Jewish fisherman. I doubt if he had read Dress for Success between Pentecost and Acts 10. He was a Jewish fisherman. Those are the men Jesus chose. The poor of this world and the weak of this world to put to confusion the mighty. 
He'd never been to seminary. He hadn't been to university. He was a fisherman that when he opened his mouth, anyone who had been educated knew that he hadn't been. And Cornelius is on his feet. I mean, on, on his face at the feet of Simon Peter. He fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Now, brethren, there's a lesson right here for us. And I want to tell you something that there have been your ancestors in the faith in days gone by who could read this verse and get more out of it than you might at first pass. Because the next verse says, Peter took him up saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. Now, if Peter was the first pope, my brethren, why didn't Peter leave him there where the pope of Rome leaves men? On their faces groveling before him. If he was the first one, he should have let him worship him for a while, patted him on the top of the head, and said, I'll give you a blessing, son. And then raised his Boy Scout signature and did the sign of the cross and blessed him. But no, he says, stand up. Stand up. I myself also am a man. There's no difference between us. Don't treat me like that. Don't worship me. Don't give me preferential treatment. I can see some saints in days gone by reading this passage that would smile and it'd be a holy smile and holy laughter chuckling in their bellies as they realize that God's word, even in little details like this, was protecting them from that onerous man, the man of sin, who sits in the temple of God and claims that he is God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, here's Peter, supposedly, in their opinion, the first pope. No evidence that he ever went to Rome. But they, the Catholics claim him as the first pope. He will not let Cornelius worship him, but stands, stands him up and says, I myself also am a man. I love that. Thank you, Lord. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Luke is so detailed. Verse 27, you know what that is? It's chit-chat. They're introducing themselves to each other. And as he talked with them, because the story's not related yet. Cornelius is going to explain it in just a moment. They introduce themselves to each other. Luke wants, Luke makes this such a personal story with so many details. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. There was a congregation already there in the city of Caesarea. And he said unto them, Now here's where Peter begins to explain. Ye know, you Romans here, you you, you Italians, you Gentiles, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. Now God had made a difference between the nation of Israel and the 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 nations of the Canaanites. He had made a difference. And he had told them to kill them and wipe them out utterly. But then he had sent them into captivity into Babylon. He didn't tell them to kill all the Babylonians. He told them to be at peace there. And so some of those ordinances had been given to Moses and Joshua to clear out the land had been for them. God had allowed their mingling. I mean, there's Ruth the Moabitess and others that God allowed to come into the nation of Israel. But the Jews in nationalistic pride had revived those old standards of enmity called anything that wasn't a Jew common and unclean, just like is in the Jewish literature today where Gentiles are called goyim or cattle, just like that, in nationalistic pride, they would have nothing to do with anyone else. 
she informed him, sir, uh, you should, uh, should you really be talking to me? I'm a woman of Samaria and you're a Jew. You can go read it in the account in John chapter 4. And so Peter here is explaining the law of the Jews that a Jew shouldn't be with a Gentile. But then he, the Lord has given him an understanding to draw these things Amen. together of Cornelius, the three men coming for him, and now he's in his house with a whole crowd of Gentiles, and there stands Peter with six brethren that are wondering what Peter's going to do because he's now in a house with Gentiles. He says, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now there is inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It wasn't food. It wasn't meat. It wasn't animals that God was trying to teach Peter about in that sheet. It was men. It was men. God hath showed me that I should call no man common or unclean. Therefore, because God showed me that, came I unto you without gainsaying. You know, he could have argued there at the gate with those two servants and a soldier, telling them, hey, I'm a Jew. Jew. I'm a Jew. I can't go meet your Cornelius because he's a Gentile. He said, I didn't do any gainsaying like that at all. I came as soon as I was sent for. Because when God's in the matter, that's exactly how we should move, as soon as we can. If God's in it, let's do it. I ask, therefore, for what intent ye have sent for me. Now, he knows that because the servants have already told him that, but he wants to hear Cornelius say it a little plainer here in the audience of all these men. And Cornelius said, and here we have another version of it, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Cornelius is a sincere, fervent man. Immediately, when an angel of God appeared to me, immediately I sent. And you'll remember from the first part of this chapter, the next morning they were on their way. Remember, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon when when the angel spoke to him. But the next morning, those servants and the soldier were on their way to Joppa to get Simon Peter. That's the first thing we notice. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and now look at him, commend Peter, and thou hast well done that thou art come. I'm glad you didn't gainsay my poor servants. I'm glad you didn't resist, and I'm glad you came as soon as you could. Here are two men excited about doing the will of God. Amen. God has revealed to Peter he's got a will among the Gentiles, and God's revealed to Cornelius, Peter can help you. And here are two men, both commending each other, and both zealous for doing the will of God. May we all have hearts like these two. Now therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? What a glorious sentence. And you know, you know from past experience that I love this sentence, even from last Sunday. 
Now, therefore, because of God dealing with you and because of God dealing with me, now, therefore, are we all here present before God? The Lord is in this matter. This is not a mere meeting of a Jewish fisherman and a Roman centurion. This is a matter of God arranging events for us to meet. There is a divine purpose in this, and we are in the presence of God because in this house, God is feared and worshipped, and we are looking for what he has for us. I hope that every father in here loves this sentence right here, that we believe that about bringing our families to the assembly, and that we believe this about worshipping God in our homes, that God is there. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? Sounds very different than the pulpit committee at most churches who want to tell the preacher that's coming in and being hired what he can preach and what he can't preach. We are ready to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. If it steps on our toes, so be it. If we've got to change some things, so be it. I'll bet if Peter had said, lay down your sword and resign from the Roman army, you'd have heard a clang before Peter got the next sentence out. You can see that by the character of this man. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. I beseech you, brethren, to come every Lord's Day to each assembly with that spirit right there. That's the spirit of a godly man. This is the presence of God, and we all, including the speaker, should want to hear whatever God has for us. This is the history of the New Testament church. This is the history of the first Gentile convert. Of what God considers the first Gentile convert. When the gospel was opened to the Gentiles. And it's not just one convert. We've got a whole crowd here. And they're all, now we are all here. Right. In the presence of God. What does that do to a minister of the gospel? You want to keep your pastor encouraged? Just have the same attitude of that last sentence of that 33rd verse. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Did Peter have the ability to discern spirits? Who's another man that he had perceived just a few chapters earlier? Simon. Simon the sorcerer. Peter could look at him and say, I perceive that thou art yet in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Here he stands and says of a truth. This is a true saying. This is from God. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Gentile or Jew does not matter to God because I see in you the character that I love, the character that we have as Jews that have been saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ I see it that there is no longer any difference. Right. Brethren, Amen. Do, you know what, do, you, do you know what Cornelius had to be fearing in his natural soul? Amen. Rejection. Second class citizenship in the kingdom of heaven because he wasn't a Jew. He knew that God had something for him, but maybe it was going to be second class citizenship. Just like they had to worship in Jerusalem. The Jews got into the inner court, and the Gentiles had to be in the court of the Gentiles. You know, you want to talk about discrimination, forget the back of the bus. Go into the temple of Jerusalem and read about the court of the Gentiles. 
where the Gentiles would have to stand, second-class citizens, even though they were proselytes that were trying to worship the very same God and were willing to bring the very same sacrifices. But Peter says of a truth, I perceive, understanding is coming to me, and I see what's in front of me, God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter whether you're poor or rich, male or female, bond or free, Gentile or Jew, Scythian or Arabian. He is no respecter of persons. That's why we can read in the book of the Revelation, when that great multitude in heaven is viewed, it is described as a multitude out of every nation, tongue, tribe, and and on earth, and family on earth. Because there is no respect of persons with God. Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. He makes a glorious assessment of the character of Cornelius. It doesn't matter what nation that we're dealing with. I see now of a truth that God has broken down all national boundaries. It doesn't matter whether you're from the nation of Israel or from the nation of Italy, from the empire of Rome. It doesn't make any difference. When a man fears God and when a man works righteousness, that's showing that he is accepted with God. And that's what the whole message of the Bible is. We started this morning with Psalm 15. Who shall abide in thy holy hill? And what do we have? Not a national distinction, a character distinction that God works into our hearts. He that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Not shall be. It doesn't say he that feareth God and worketh righteousness shall be accepted with him. How could that be true? How could we take a man dead in trespasses and sins and say, fear God, work righteousness, and God will accept you? That isn't the message of the Bible. The man dead in trespasses and sins can't fear God, nor can he work righteousness. But when we look at a man and he is fearing God, and he is working righteousness, that's proof that that man is accepted with God. And that's the whole basis of our salvation, is acceptance with God. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to accept Jesus as our personal Savior. In the Bible, we are told that God accepts us through our personal Savior. Anybody know where we should go? Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you how we are truly saved by acceptance. It's Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, brethren... Paul said he was afraid for the Corinthians that they would be led away from the simplicity of the gospel to believe another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. There is another Jesus being taught today that salvation is dependent upon you accepting him. The Bible teaches that salvation is dependent upon God accepting us through him, because of him, by him. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 4 said, according as he hath chosen us in him. There's election. Verse 5 says, having predestinated us, there's predestination. Verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Right. 
God makes us acceptable to himself by putting us in Christ Jesus who paid for all our sins and he receives us, he accepts us because of Christ's sacrifice and it's all to the praise of the glory of his grace. Not to the praise of the glory of a soul winner. Not to the praise of the glory of the person that did the believing. To the praise of the glory of His grace, God makes us acceptable to Him through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is salvation by grace. And Peter stood and looked at Cornelius with the blessing of God's vision and God leading him and said, I perceive that of a truth, God is no respecter of persons. All the national boundaries are gone. Peter's preaching something he's never heard before. Do you understand that? God is opening his eyes and mouth at the same time, and Cornelius is hearing a message that had never been preached before. He that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. It doesn't matter what nation he's from. I see here the work of God in salvation. God has, God has saved you and regenerated you and given you a heart that wants to fear Him and works righteousness. You are accepted with Him. It doesn't matter that you're from Italy. I could take you to 1 John and show you multiplied number of passages that teach that a man who does righteousness is righteous. And a man who does righteousness is born of God. You don't do righteousness in order to be born of God. This is salvation by grace. which means it's taken out of our hands because if it were left in our hands, no man would be saved. And here Peter goes on now. That was his opening remarks to tell Cornelius that he was accepted with God and it didn't matter that he was from Italy. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, Don't you love that little parenthetical remark? I I just love that. Peter just wants to slide something into the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Just like that. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know. And now what he's going to describe is the public ministry of Jesus Christ. The public record of Jesus Christ from his beginning to his end was known by any, everyone in Judea. That's why when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with two disciples and he asked them why they were sorrowful, they looked, they looked at him and said, don't you know what's been going on these days? Everyone knew. The Word. The Word being God's revelation of his son Jesus Christ. God's manifestation of himself to the nation of Israel. In this person, Jesus of Nazareth, you know about, because you know these events. And now he lists a few of them. Verse 38, no, to verse 37, That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's the word. God was manifest in the flesh. You know the public record of God being manifest in the flesh. That there was a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who showed the presence of God with him and the power of God with him in doing good throughout Judea, that you know God was with him. 
without controversy, great is this mystery. It was a mystery to Cornelius. It was a mystery to us were it not for the grace of God to explain it fully to us. He knew the public record, but now Peter's about to tell him more about this Jesus of Nazareth. God was with him at the last part of verse 38. Now verse 39, Peter says, And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Now that would cover what Cornelius knew, that this Jesus of Nazareth had gone about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. But Peter says, I happen to be a personal witness of what took place after that. We witnessed everything that he did during his life in Jerusalem and in Judea, but they slew him and hanged him on a tree. Him, God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Cornelius, I have a little bit more to add on to the story that you've heard. The story that you've heard is all the good things that he did in Jerusalem and Judea, but the Romans killed him, hung him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead. Now the reason you don't know about that is because he didn't appear to all men. He appeared to certain chosen witnesses, and I happened to be one of them, and we ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Jesus of Nazareth, who obviously had God with him, is risen from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. Cornelius, God has taken that man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, raised him from the dead, made him to be a judge. He's going to judge the living and the dead, the quick and the dead. He's going to judge the living and the dead. and He's commanded us to be his witnesses. That is why you had to send to Joppa for one named Simon Peter, because I am one of his chosen witnesses to tell you that he's raised from the dead, and he is the judge of the living and the dead. He is no longer a man that the Romans could hang on a tree. He is the Lord of glory, Amen. and he's our coming judge. To him give all the prophets witness. All the Jewish prophets that wrote before me, Cornelius, they witnessed and told and described this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Verse 43. There he lays out to Cornelius in just, in just a few verses. And remember, Luke can say with many other words that he testified and exhort when he wants to. This is a short sermon. But he lifts up Jesus Christ to the pinnacle of power as the judge of the living and the dead and then tells him, this man is the one witnessed by all the Jewish prophets. This is the Christ that was prophesied. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the Messiah that God was going to send to save his people. And whosoever believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, whosoever believes on him and on his name, shall receive remission of sins. Now, there's a remission of sins that follows upon believing. All we're supposed to do is rightly divide the word of truth. There's a remission of sins that took place when Jesus Christ rose up on high from his death and resurrection. That was the legal remission of sins. Right. Your believing doesn't have a thing to do with the legal 
remission of sins. But brethren, Cornelius didn't know that all of his sins were remitted. And so there is a message of the gospel that explains to us how our sins are remitted. Remember from Hebrews 10 that I preached to you two weeks ago, where the the sacrifices of the Old Testament never made the conscience of the worshipers thereof clean? All those Old Testament sacrifices, when they'd go and kill an animal and watch it bleed out its last breath, and its blood would spray out, and they'd burn that animal as a sacrifice, never could they come away with a conscience clean from sin. Not even a good Jew. What about a Gentile who's only worshiping from the outside? There's no freedom from sin until you hear the gospel and know that Jesus Christ has died to pay for your sins. And the only people that that message is to are those that God has called. Everyone else is going to think that it's foolishness. It's only received by God's people who have been born again. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which want to be saved? No, unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. When a person who's been saved by the grace of Christ and born again by the Holy Spirit hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the power of God. It's the power and the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Paul said that in the wisdom of this world, they couldn't figure God out. They couldn't find God. They couldn't learn of God. So he said, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness, but unto them which are called whether it's Jews or Greeks, Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. A man who's been born again hears the preaching of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and he realizes in that man Christ Jesus is the payment for all my sins. And a man who believes on his name and who believes that he was sent as all the Old Testament scriptures prophesy that he would be sent, he receives remission of sins. Where does he receive that remission? He receives that remission in his conscience because he's freed from his sins. It's like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that cleansing and forgiveness legal cleansing and forgiveness or practical cleansing and forgiveness in our own heart, soul, mind, and conscience? And does it restore to us peace with God? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the last couple of verses tell us that God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And he gave to the apostles the ministry of reconciliation. And what was that? To wit, that God was in Christ, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath given to us the word of reconciliation. Wherefore, as if Christ were, as if God were beseeching you by Christ, be ye reconciled to God. God accepts you, Cornelius. You are accepted with God. You're proving it by the way that you fear him and the works of righteousness that you have done. God has saved you. You have the character of the righteous. And Cornelius is standing... Listen, brethren. Cornelius was hearing news. Peter was preaching something he'd never heard before. And then Peter tells him, If you believe in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, prophesied by all the Old Testament prophets of the Jews... There is remission of sins because he has paid for your sins when he died in Jerusalem, but God raised him from the dead. That's a short message of the gospel right there. Is there a remission of sins that follows believing? Absolutely and certainly. It's the remission of sins in your conscience. And if you ever forget that message 
and think that you have to be circumcised in order for your sins to be remitted, then you will lose the remission of sins. Mm -hmm. And Christ will become of none effect to you. Galatians chapter 5. Because it's all here at this level, the level of our conscience. Our legal standing before Christ is finished. What do you think he meant when he said, it is finished? The legal work of making us acceptable to God was done. But when we hear it, our sins are remitted in our conscience, and we know that God's been reconciled to us. Let's be reconciled to him. Let's have the confidence that we know our sins are blotted out, and we can go freely to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter hears that message. Cornelius hears that message. And here's what we read in the last few verses. While Peter yet spake these words, he hadn't even finished. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed, that's Peter's companions, those six men from Joppa, were astonished as many as came with Peter. These six men, every single one of them, were astonished because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. All these friends of Cornelius and kinsmen started speaking in tongues, magnifying God. And whether they were languages that these six men from Joppa knew, or whether God gave them the gift of interpretation to understand what was going on, they heard this whole crowd speaking in languages that they were not born in, magnifying God. And they knew that what had happened at Pentecost a little while earlier was happening here all over again with these Gentiles. And they were astonished because to a Jew, it was almost incomprehensible to think that God would save a Gentile. That was just stooping too far. But thanks be to God, he did. And there is no respect of persons with God, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And what does Peter do? Now, Peter's been helped out with a trance. He's been helped out seeing the character of Cornelius. He's been helped out hearing about Cornelius having an angel. And he's also helped out by the Holy Spirit of God. He sees these, this great crowd of Gentiles all speaking with tongues. And Peter says, can any man forbid water? Amen. Now, remember, he's got six men behind him who would have been tempted to forbid water. Can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. There's no difference between what we received and what they're showing right now. No difference. Can any man forbid water? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. That is a minister of the gospel. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Brethren, the Lord reversed the order. Over there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, it's repent and be baptized, and every one of you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Here, to help Peter out a little bit, the Lord gave the Holy Ghost first, and Peter wanted to get that baptism done as quickly as he could. He commanded them to be baptized. And look at the character of the man. Does he want to let Peter go back to Joppa? Will you please stay? Will you please stay and continue to preach to us for certain days? May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. May he drive us with Acts chapter 10 to see the character of the righteous 
as we read this morning in Psalm 15, to be like Cornelius, a righteous man. May we thank God for his grace that has saved us Gentiles. May we remember that the work of salvation is by the grace of God that changed Cornelius. It wasn't the presence nor the message of Peter. God changed Cornelius. Last night at 4 o'clock, the wind was blowing so hard at my house that I, you know, you start wondering if it's going to knock out the big panes of glass. It's blowing so hard. At 5 o'clock, it was a dead calm. I laid there in my bed knowing that I had studied this week on Acts 10. I said, Lord, I was so moved by that wind at 4 o'clock, and now there's a dead calm. John 3, 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Peter couldn't have told you where the Spirit came from, nor where the Spirit went. All he knew was that he saw something in front of him that had been born of God. And that was Cornelius. And that is how we're all born again. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It's by the work of God without human means. There were no fans last night in the Roper Mountain area of Greenville. The Lord was sending that wind. The Lord took the wind away and the Lord brought it back about 6 o'clock. It's all with the grace of God. And I just laid there and thought, thank you, Lord, for a little demonstration on these window panes here in this room of what you can do. You can start it, you can stop it, and in the process, a man like Cornelius is fearing you with his whole house, praying always, giving alms, and ready for the gospel. May the Lord bring us some people like that, Amen. and for any, for any here that have not been baptized, if you see in the Lord Jesus Christ the power and the wisdom of God in putting away all your sins, you ought to be baptized. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.